It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just looking at the long-term forecast here. Wednesday, sunny and 23. Thursday, sunny and 20. Friday, sunny and 20. Saturday, mix of sun and cloud. Chance of showers, high 18. And Sunday, mix of sun and cloud and a high of 24. It's a whole week of double digits. Finally. And then some. Finally. I'll believe it when I see it. I know. I'm still skeptical. <laughs> well, it was hard yesterday because it did look so beautiful out, but that wind was something else. Ugh, it was uh, nasty, but the sun was wonderful. It was nice to get some heat. I driving around with the the sunroof open yesterday, so so that was nice. Some of the classic cars are already out on the roads. Oh, nice. Saw some real buttes yesterday. Couple Porsches, uh, an unbelievable. I think it was a '68 Firebird and a Candy Apple Red. Ooh. Absolutely gorgeous. So uh, yeah, the you know the spring. I think spring is sprung when you when you see your first motorcycle and when you see your first classic car with the with the with the rag top down. There is something different. We were talking about this over the weekend and Friday about the sounds of playing outside at this time of year. It just sounds different. It sounds better. Kids going by on their bikes and all the rest. So, oh, man, I hope we do get to 20. You mentioned all the chirping birds this morning. I couldn't believe it. I stepped outside and usually very grumpy in the morning. Shocker. And I'm climbing into the car and getting all, all the bags in. And all of a sudden just hear a ton of birds around me. And I thought, oh, and it totally changed my mood. Yeah. Instead of me texting like, hi. On my way in, not happy about it, which is my usual good morning. would rather be punched in the face than to get in this car right now. My neighbors know that it's spring because uh, they can hear me yelling at my kids to do the lawn chores. So uh, that happened on Saturday. Okay. Uh, up to my uh, old tricks. Uh, my very, very obviously tremendous personnel skills <laughs> with my kids because they're still pushing back. Every time I give them an instruction. So God help anyone who hires them for their summer job. They need summer jobs, by the way. So if, if you're oh. looking for, for hardworking teenagers, uh, I've got two of them that are looking for a job. And uh, <laughs> on the tweeting or singing bird front, um, Coyote trotting across Henderson Highway at Chief Pegwis Trail this morning. Oh. So he lo- seemed to be on the prowl. Didn't see any roadrunners, but I did see a coyote. <laughs> Here's one, though, with the birds chirping. That made you happy when you as you're getting in your car at 4 a.m. But if you were it, trying to sleep, would that disturb you? Because the birds yeah. that used to, there used to be birds who would hang out my, outside my bedroom window when, when I lived uh, my parents' or with my parents, and uh, they drove me insane because they'd start chirping that early, and they'd be right outside my window. And because it was intermittent and unpredictable, you couldn't simmer down. If it was a metronome kind of sound, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. But, like a white noise thing. Yeah. I mean, I often sleep with some white noise anyway because of just the weird schedules that we have. But, yes, birds will keep you. You like them when you're up, and you don't like them when you're not. Yeah. And, then, and then there's always that one just making, like, there's 30 seconds of pause. Ooh. What? Like, are you talking to me? Is this a signal? Beats the heck out of a train passing by at, at 5 a.m. Or mm. that work whistle. I watched uh, My Cousin Vinny on Saturday. That's a, that's a heck of a movie. My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, it was just on. It was on. It was flipping channels. That was on AMC or one of those channels. But it's also on Disney+. Plus. So I just watched it from the beginning. And I forgot how much I enjoyed that movie. But uh, one of the themes is, of course, that they can't sleep. 
because they're in a hotel and they're next to uh, a, a, like a wood processing plant. And so the work whistle goes at 530 and then they change hotels only to get a hotel right next to a pig slaughtering plant and a railroad track where the train <laughs> goes through at five in the morning. And, and the restaurant where I, I lived in and owned in Vernon, we were right next to a train track. So I've been shaken out of bed by a train a time or two myself. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. Yeah. Not we, fun at all. Yeah. We had a train track just a block down the street. Uh, from when where I, when I grew up, so we just kind of got used to trains rolling through. I guess, yeah, the neighborhood. But still, it was it, it would sort of rumble you out of bed sometimes. So the weather looks great. That's awesome, uh, especially if you were to remain on a picket line. I guess because when the peace act oh, strike right. started, it was cold. But uh, for the most part, most of them will be the strikes over, but still a few thousand. Remain. Yeah, 120,000 reached a tentative deal. The rest who are with the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, so some 35,000 workers will still be on the picket line this morning unless there's some sort of development. But we'll get the latest at 7.50. We're going to go to Ottawa and speak to one of our national reporters about what the deal was, what's in it, what isn't, and why these CA, CRA workers are still on the line. And then, of course, speaking of work, we're going to talk chores because a lot of us were outside, Brett, getting our lawn spruced up or Decks? Nah, I wasn't doing the deck. But doing stuff outside. Still too cold to stay in the deck. That's right. That's my excuse. There you go. But uh, we heard the story in the news run with Sarah about this no mow may concept, about trying to keep your lawn long for the next month. Are you one of those people that does that? Some people think it's good for the grass, good for the environment, and others are saying, no, 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 you got to cut it to get things going. I cut it. I cut it and leave it as long as possible, that's the advice that is given by Tim Muse of, of Greenblade is to strengthen the roots and et cetera, that to, you cut it as long as you can so that it looks nice, but that it's uh, longer for the health of the lawn. But this idea of not mowing at all in May, I don't know about that one. I'd like to learn a little bit more before I'm declarative of whether I'm participating or not. It's a British movement. I think it started overseas in this idea that refrain from cutting your grass for the month to let flowering plants thrive and pollen and all that kind of stuff. But we'll hear more from an expert on her thoughts and why you shouldn't be doing that. Do we have to talk hockey today? I guess we do, do. right? Were you surprised at the coach's comments over the weekend, kind of pulling, just dialing it back a little bit from from his explosive comments after the game? Yeah, a tiny bit, Brett, but I was more concerned about the pushback from the players Mm -hmm. and the idea that the players suggested this is sort of come out of left field. That he should have said it in the locker room, which makes you think he didn't. He never uh, said that he was disappointed. I'm sure that know. came across somehow. I'm, I'm wondering how many AirPods are in use <laughs> in between periods in that dressing room. Like, seriously? This, this is the first thing? It looks like Bonus will be back as head coach. Looks like Chevy will be back as general manager. How many changes? Like, this was supposed to be the big summer of change. How many changes will there actually be? We'll speak to Jim Toth later on this morning about that. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for Jagged Little Pill coming to the Centennial Concert Hall October 17th to the 22nd. This is a Tony and Grammy award-winning Broadway musical inspired by the music of Alanis Morissette. And today's question has to do with something a lot of you were probably up to over the weekend, and that's yard work. What is your either either your favorite or your least favorite chore? Outside of the dreaded dog poop attack, the poop attack, as Loren referred to it, getting trying to get all that dog uh, 
donations uh, that pile up over the winter before the snow melts is one. But for me, it's um, picking dandelions. I remember there was one year, of course, the one time I actually got down and picked them was when I was trying to get my house ready for sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I couldn't, I could barely walk for like a week mm-hmm. after 45 minutes of it. My legs were so sore. Hate it. So what did you get done this weekend, Greg? I got a lot of, I, I pressure washed the deck and the patio, all the patio furniture, got soap on there and, uh, High pressure washed everything. Got the TV set up in the gazebo, so I was able to watch the hockey game out there last night. So for me, that's and I had my first nap in the gazebo mm, on Saturday lovely. afternoon. Ah. And uh, this is see, this is this is a pure this is a pure Winnipeg thing. I think like when I had my convertible, I would get out like you know four or five degrees, and I would drive around with the top down with a winter jacket, a toque on, the heat blasting. <laughs> But, you know, you got to get out, right, when you can. So I've got the heater on in the gazebo with the windows open (laughs) and a blanket because (laughs) I want the fresh air, but I also want to feel the sunshine like a cat. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that I had my first nap outside. And uh, so to do it by before May 1st was a little bit of an accomplishment. So, there you go. So uh, th- th- does nap in the gazebo count as a yes. chore? Sure. Okay, then ch- green check mark for me this weekend. Cameron Portress, what about you? Favorite or least favorite? Uh, I love gardening. I love getting out there, um, getting that going. Of course, it's, it's not anywhere close to the right time to get that done. Uh, usually after May long, June 1st is the time to really to really get that in there. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm already planning everything out and what I, what I want to get done and... Yeah, I just I love it, like building trellises and stuff like that. I love I love gardening, so I'm really really looking. I always look forward to that around this time of year. Isn't it the most popular hobby in Canada? Sure, gardening. Yes, it's super one. satisfying. Like I, it's so funny because I grew up uh, on a farm and and our garden was huge. My mom yeah. would often talk about it. it was the difference maker in some years budget wise, right? Because it would save one to two thousand dollars in vegetables, which is a lot oh, wow. for a family of four, and you got you're busy, and and so it was a, it was a, it was work because it was so much. But now that I have these little sort of hobby gardens, like you, I would drive you nuts if you must drive my husband nuts because I'm like, you got to come out and check out these peppers. Like, come, yeah. come take a look. Like, it's like you did, you made it. You got to see how these potatoes are, that the bush is huge or the radishes. Check it out. And it, so I'm, many green beans. You're so proud of it. I yeah. don't know why it is. Handing out cucumbers to people I and stuff like that. I walk out to that corner and I look at it and I'm like, oh, look at me go. $15 I'm, worth of peppers. Yes, look at that. That I couldn't possibly All that eat. Entire, yes. That entire summer of work for $15 worth of peppers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of it. But it's fun. It's totally fun. It's extremely rewarding. 100%. Like making a meal and stuff of your garden is just awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And you want to point it out. It's garden lettuce. This came from the garden. These are garden potatoes. You have to tell everybody. (laughs) From the garden. Everybody must know. Forte, what about you? Uh, Greg actually said one of my favorite things to do when I'm outside. I live in an apartment, so I, I, you know, I don't have to do yard work and everything like that, but uh, I love taking a pressure washer. There's nothing more satisfying than getting that dirt off. If you're doing a deck or something like that, it's fun. I don't know why. I find it fun. Or if you have a leaf blower and, you know, you have grass clippings all over the place, all over the, the patio, I like blowing that off. I don't know. I just I find it satisfying. It is fun. I, I Whenever call. I, whenever I t- take my car to the wand wash, it's fun. There's something neat about it. It's like, okay, I'm about to unload all this power. That's right. Can, can I change my answer? Yes. 
I got to change mine. Staining decks. I absolutely love <laughs> do that. Do not. Nobody does. I love I like, staining I like it a too. good deck. You're hired. Yeah. Yes. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> it's not the staining that's hard. It's the, like, it's so peeled from this winter. <laughs> oh, it's the that prep. I have to, the prep work that's going to have to go into it this year. 90% is, prep. Oh, it's awful. Yep. What do you have to like get out and scrape it or whatever? It really needs to be scraped down. The winter was rough on it this year and it just looks terrible. It Next looks year, like we've it's done nothing even to worse. it. Well, I left because I left it all last year. And now I'm just angry every day staring at it. <laughs> every day I look out and I think, ugh. Are we gonna have the same conversation in twenty twenty four? I hope yes. not. No, this is yes. this is happening this year. I okay. can't live without it. We're one gonna more wait summer. and see. Yeah. Sarah, what about you? Well, I also live in an apartment, so the most amount of yard work I have to do is set up my balcony furniture, which I enjoy. Um, barbecue season, set it up, uncover the patio furniture. Have you had a barbecue yet? Not yet. I'm okay. still a little wimpy. The sunrise comes on my side of the balcony, so just like enjoying a coffee out there. And uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Do you leave your furniture on the balcony all winter? I like do. just under just a carpet? covered, yeah. And okay. it's all got to wash that off. Do you, you put know? lights out or anything yes, like that? Yes. yes. Set it all up, make it all pretty. Yeah, mm-hmm. looking forward to it. I don't even cover mine. I just leave it out there. It's <laughs> filthy. Too. Let it rot. It's so dirty. I, I wiped it down. Yeah, uh, no, Saturday. I wiped it down. Mm-hmm. I also have my bike out in my uh, balcony and uh, that thing. I didn't ride it once last year, so it was just covered. Like, it was grimy. <laughs> so I really, really uh, scrubbed her down. Mm-hmm. And uh, Loren, what about you? Well, I did. Th- I, I do hate the, the staining. I love the gardening in terms of just how good it makes me feel. But I think ultimately I'm going to have to side with Greg. It's pulling up the hammock and lying in it for the first time. And it takes three seconds, but you're like, better go get that hammock ready. Better test it. But you have to earn that, right? Like, I mean, that's not the first thing you're doing. You're not slinging that hammock no, over true. a pile of leaves or, like you know. Like trudging through the gross lawn yeah, yeah, and be yeah. like, I'm going to sit in this filth while I stare. No, because it's also very hard, as you guys know, to relax when there's work, when you look over, oh. you see your yard is disgusting. I can't lay there. And look I at can't that. either. In fact, I have to typically. turn my back to the deck, like face the other <laughs> way on it, just so I don't just moan about that deck. 204-780-6868. Your either favorite or least favorite yard chores for a chance to win yourself some tickets to see Jagged Little Pill, the Broadway Musical coming to Winnipeg in October at the Centennial Concert Hall. We shall pick a winner at 9.15. But uh, before that, we're asking you about your favorite or least favorite yard chores. What does Justin say? I heard one of you guys likes to use a power washer. There is actually a power wash simulator video game (laughs) available for all consoles and PC. It's supposed to be pretty fun. I'm looking at this power wash simulator. And it does, uh, I, I mean... I haven't watched any videos of the gameplay, but it's sort of like I'm obsessed with the the videos of the people that uh, detail cars. I love to just sit and watch those videos, and I like to do it myself, but uh, I could see where it would be uh, very satisfying <laughs> to see the dirt come off uh, cars, and what else are they showing? Houses here, they're spraying in a still photo here, what looks to be like a big slide or something in a park, so kind of cool. How do we know yeah, you'll love... Sorry, that was... I just pulled up a YouTube video here. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that, yeah, even IGN... Uh, which is a great pop culture organization. They say Power Wash Simulator might be the most oddly satisfying game of 2021. <laughs> Think Thanks, about Justin. when you clean your car and you get to the tires and all that dirt yeah. starts coming out and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, and you wait until it runs mm-hmm. clean. And then of course, inevitably, when you use a power washer, if you are if you have a home, you have to fight that urge to spray someone. Like yeah. even as a grown adult, someone walks by and you think... 
I got to get them. <laughs> I'm going to take them out of the knees with this power washer. <laughs> so tell us a story for a chance to win. Tickets to see Jagged Little Pill, Broadway musical coming to Winnipeg in October, your least favorite or your favorite yard chores. Now, you may have noticed recently there's a social media campaign called No Mo May. Spelled M-O-W. That, as that name suggests, you don't mow your lawn for the month of May to help insect pollinators. So as you heard in the news with Sarah McCarthy, this initiative started in England, in the UK, and it really was with roadways and ditches and then moved into lawns. And as you mentioned, it's about you know giving a better source for pollinators. But Dr. Sarah Stricker is with the Turfgrass Institute at the University of Guelph. And in her opinion, it's not a great idea. She says longer grass helps out things like fleas and ticks, which is perhaps something you don't want. Tall grass around your backyard uh, increase the risk of other pests that you don't want in your near your home, uh, but it also decreases the health of your lawn. So here's the great debate on how long do you keep your grass, whether it's for no mow May or just in summer. Some people like it really short. Some people like it really long. Dr. Stricker says three inches is ideal. That way you'll have to cut less and water less. If you really want to support pollinators, we recommend planting native wildflowers um, or even actually planting trees because things like maple, willow, and in the apple family, they have a really rich uh, and more diverse pollen source. So I like to keep my lawn as long as possible to keep it, you know, I cut it at least once a week, typically, uh, you know, 10 days maximum. But I like to keep it as long as possible for the reasons outlined there. I don't like to water my lawn. That's drinking water in Winnipeg. I don't know about where you live, Loren, but uh, I'm paying not only for the water, but the sewer charge as well to water my lawn. So I try to avoid it at if at all possible. So here again is Dr. Stricker about what else you can do. Dr. Stricker from the Turf Grass Institute at the University of Guelph. We can increase biodiversity actually in a lawn setting and keeping it mowed by increasing things like creeping buttercup or wild strawberry or crocuses, things that have developed to survive mowing conditions. So um, I would recommend that over letting grass grow long. So keep it a certain length, but don't let it grow really, really long because then you don't have the bugs in it. And another thing that struck me in some of her comments is about the things you can do, like add those natural bits of vegetation is trees. And I'm wondering, as I look out over the city and we have this great green canopy that we look at from the 30th floor, in new developments, do you think there's a requirement to add a certain number of trees by the developer? Because that's still one of the big mistakes that we make that, that seems like they don't go in or they go in as an afterthought. And then we're focused on the lawns, but really it's the trees that we should be paying more attention to. Yeah, I think to. there's a certain amount of trees that have to be installed uh, by the developer, uh, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. But, but but the new builds in the homes, there's no requirement. They have to put them on the boulevard. On the boulevard, right. But in the houses, like if you fly oh, over a new development saying. in Winnipeg yeah, yeah. as a homeowner, mm. there should almost be some sort of little add-on. We have all these bylaws in place. It's really good. got to have a couple trees. Sure. That's a good point. I don't know what else to say. I think that's a great idea. More trees, the better. But then there are some trees that, you know, are very, uh, they interfere with your sewer line and that interfere with your foundation and, you know, grow shallow roots. Like, I think you have to do really do your homework on that stuff. What about grass with your neighbor? In the sense of if they cut, then you feel like you have to cut Always. when you have, right? Oh, yeah. Every time, and we're good friends with him. He, he steps outside and we think, oh, here he goes. We got to go out because otherwise it looks, doesn't, it's incongruous. Like it doesn't match. Yeah. And you feel like you're being the one that's being lazy. 
Now we've got that one patch of grass on my in in our development where it's maybe six feet wide, but it's in between my driveway and my neighbor's driveway. And so we sort of have an agreement that I'm just going to cut that because I don't want him to cut his grass and then his looks all neat and tidy and then mine looks shabby or vice versa. So I've just said, you leave that alone. I'll take care of it. Yeah. And then that way we don't have that weird line right down the middle of the six foot wide patch of grass that divides our driveways. Yeah, that actually, that happened to me when I was getting, I've mentioned getting ready to sell my house earlier in the show and that happened to me uh like our, our, our lawns didn't connect. There was a driveway that separated our lawns, but my neighbor had not mowed the lawn for, I don't know how long. It was a foot tall and it was oh. unsightly. Oh yeah. So I finally, when I was cutting my grass, I went and knocked on the door and asked if I could cut their grass. And I, and, and I'm glad I did that because it turns out they were uh, a family from India that had recently arrived and they were staying in this home that was owned by someone else in their family and they'd never cut grass. So I started doing it and then he came out and said, if I'm going to live in Canada, I need to learn how to do this. Will you teach me? Oh, great. And, and then I met his beautiful wife and beautiful daughter and it was a really neat little, it was a kind of a neat moment. And then so, but in the end, the grass was cut, it looked better and he was on his way to learning how to do stuff here. So yeah, it was kind of cool, but I felt sort of like, oh, do I go knock on this guy's door? Cause it looks so bad. Yeah. But you make all sorts of assumptions, maybe not you, but oh, it's the problem. Why aren't they doing this? Do they not care? Like, what's going on? And you realize it was a very simple reason. Never didn't cross their mind. Yeah. You might not have even had a lawnmower on the property. I don't know. Because I didn't I didn't even realize they were in there. They'd been there for a month already. So it shows how much I pay attention to my neighbors. I was really a bad homeowner and a bad neighbor. But uh, <laughs> l- tell us about... <laughs> Brent, stop. Brent, beating yourself up. How many years ago is this? Uh, Ten. Yeah. That's no. T- let go. Let go, man. No mow may. Quite the interesting weekend in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, did either of you guys get suckered into watching hockey over the weekend? Loren, how much did you watch? I watched more hockey the last 48 hours than I did during this jet stretch in the playoffs. Wow. In part because of the hours of the game. Sure. But of course, uh, Friday night, there was just what a heck of a game with uh, Florida and Boston that pushed that to game seven. And then, of course, Florida won yesterday. And then the Leafs, we have to watch because of my one kid. And so he was super <laughs> excited about that. It still went to overtime. Boy, lots of people. Did you think they were going to lose that game I on Saturday night? I thought they were going to lose that game. I yeah. did. And I was uh, I was worried I'd have to do mop-up duty, you know, in terms of how he'd feel. And then I watched the Kraken. I watched more hockey, honestly, than I think I have in a long time. Some big upsets. So, you know, the Boston Bruins go down. They, of course, won the President's Trophy as the number one team. They set a record for most wins in a season. And so Paul Maurice and the Florida Panthers, Brett, they beat this team 43 fewer points in the standings. And I think that's a record for the most point differential in an upset win, eight versus one. And I'm wondering, first of all, what the conversation is in Boston today. Like, mm. is Cam Neely, their general manager, coming out in front of the media and say, well, we did pretty well this year. I think I don't think we're going to change a darn thing. Or is there going to be pressure on them to, like, I don't know, change their coach or what have you. But did you watch any of the hockey on the weekend? No, no. I was, I was kind of paying attention, though, because uh, my buddy is a Colorado Avalanche fan. He's, uh, I think he's 30 or 31, so 
when the Jets left, he was five. Mm -hmm. So he grew up being a fan of Colorado. And like when we went on our trip last year to Killarney, when we played Killarney Golf Course and Pleasant Valley, we, we like we he, he made sure to tell us, like, look, the, there's going to be a Stanley Cup game on such and such a night. So we've got to watch it. OK, sure. And uh, I mean, I had no skin in that game. But he was right into it, and of course, once they once they won the cup, he ran around the, the <laughs> this little motel in Killarney wearing his jersey, pumping his fist. So when I got up this morning and saw that Seattle beat them last night, I thought, oh man, like I mean, great for Seattle, but and, uh, and it's always fun to see upsets in sport. But when you know your one of your loved ones is cheering for somebody, and to see that team lose, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I would take more pleasure in Toronto. Losing partly because I know that that's sort of a, a war in your home. Already. The world would take more ple- pleasure in Toronto. Well, losing. the world. Can I say this? <laughs> I, I now I'm feeling bad about cheering against Toronto because I found out last night I've got two nephews that live in Hamilton, and I knew they were huge Leaf fans, but I didn't realize they were taking the train in Toronto into Toronto every night, every time there's a game, road or home, to be at Maple Leaf Square. To watch the game. So they are super dedicated. So how long I'm, of a ride is that? I have no idea how long the ride is, but it's got to be at least an hour. It would be, yeah, for sure. Right, Depending round on, trip. If they're doing transit, and, it could be longer. Yeah, I don't think they're driving, but uh, I can figure that out. But I, I'm pretty sure Jackie said they're taking the train in. So, you know, based on that alone, I'm sort of happy for my nephews, but it's impossible to be happy for Toronto Leafs fans overall. Park your vote is not the right way, but park your watch time now with another team. Like, how do you decide I that? Can't. If you're into the hockey, do you just sort of watch as it passively, or is there another team that will give you a reason to cheer? So, I guess Florida now. Yeah, someone I'll, said I'll, Paul Maurice coaching Florida is why they'll sure. now start cheering for Florida. Yeah, and I like I like I like the upset as well. And a friend of mine who we've had on this program several times, Jason Merrick friend of mine he lives in in Florida he's been to all the panther games he was he was sending me videos on saturday night and text this is the most exciting hockey game i've ever been to in my life uh, seven goals in that third period on uh, friday night in that uh, upset win by the panthers so i guess maybe I might need to order myself a Panthers jersey of some sort. <laughs> Definitely no for the Oilers. They moved on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the Oilers could be playing another, like, it could be like interplanetary playoffs for the survival of of planet Earth, and I would be cheering <laughs> for the aliens. Yes. <laughs> I would not be cheering for the Oilers. No chance, no way, no how. Am I cheering for Edmonton? Yeah, whenever at this point, it, it comes down to just something trivial like, ah, well, I like Seattle's colors, so mm-hmm. I guess I'll cheer for the Kraken. I really, I didn't like the Seattle Kraken logo when it was first unveiled, and it's grown on me, and I, I like the, the colors of their home jerseys, and that logo, it's got that sort of sinister look to it. So it that's does. that's pretty much how I, I pick who I might, I'm not going to follow them closely, but... I got to pick a team to cheer for. That's yeah. what I'm well, for. Dave Haxtall, their coach, is a former uh, North Dakota coach. You've got Brandon Tanev, the former Jet, who went to Pittsburgh and then was subsequently picked up in the expansion draft by Seattle. They've sort of built their team, not necessarily around him, but he's one of the key players in their lineup. So, yeah, I think if you're looking hard enough, you can find a storyline to justify cheering for just about any team other than Toronto and Edmonton. So, oh, although I just did find it reason to sort of cheer for Toronto over the weekend. And one of our listeners now pointing out that both of the head coaches from Winnipeg Jets last year, Paul Maurice and Dave Lowry, 
are on to the second round of the playoffs. Who's Dave Lowry with? I'd have to look that up. Turn off my microphone. Oh, now. you don't want to hear that? <laughs> I knew about Maurice. Oh, he's with the Kraken, right? I forgot La- Lowry's Lowry. with Seattle. Yes, yeah. yeah. So if you're looking for little links and reasons. There you go. That seems to tick Greg off more because they're moving on and we did not. <laughs> Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. So this question went up Friday afternoon. It's still there. What do you want to see the Winnipeg Jets do this offseason? 70% say trade core players. 15% say stay the course. And 15% say fire the coach and or management. And then uh, the question we asked on Friday morning, how would you grade their season? 32% said C, 32% F, 27% D, 8% B, and just under 2% gave the Jets an A. I'd like to, I'd like uh, for those people that the 2% that gave them an A, I would like to go back in time and have them as my teachers. <laughs> if you're giving out A's like that, I, w- I want one. How do I get one? How do I sign up? You know, Gary just sent a text message. It's a good one. And I did mention this uh, in the newsroom the other day. I said, if it wasn't against my religion to cheer for the Vegas Golden Knights, I would probably go out and buy a Mark Stone jersey because, you know, and I mentioned this on Friday, four Manitobans in the regular lineup for for Vegas Golden Knights. You've got LB, Laurent Brassois, there is now their, their goalie of choice, at least for the time being. And Kelly McCrimmon, the former owner, general manager, coach of the Brandon Wheat Kings is their GM. I just, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> Why? Because they've now beaten the Jets twice in five That's, years. It, I was trying to explain that to the kids when they said, why do some people just hate the Oilers so much? I was like, man, like every time yeah, runs deep. we try to get anywhere. Runs I said, deep. anybody who lived through the 80s struggles with the Oilers. Pain. That's all I remember from that era. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Jim Toth joins us at 8.35 to talk sports. Kelly Moore's Monday Jets commentary. Normally, we run that at 7.55. We're going to do that coming up at 8.11. But before that, speaking of sports, let's talk some golf. Because a handful of courses were open last week. A handful more opened over the weekend. And more will be opening this week. Let's check in with Kevin O'Donovan, Regional Director of the Prairie Chapter of the National Golf Course Owners Association Canada. Kevin, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, gang. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well, sir. And I mean, hey, it's it's not uncommon for golf to begin in late April in Manitoba, but still, it must have been nice to finally see some outdoor golf back in action. You know, after the kind of season we had to start 2022, anything earlier than that uh, would have been a positive. And certainly this year was, was a little bit later than normal, whatever normal is anymore. But certainly uh, welcome news that courses were being able to open, ranges were opening. Uh, the pent-up demand from golf course, or from golfers was certainly there. You mentioned pent-up demand, and we saw a resurgence of golf in terms of its popularity during the pandemic, Kevin. Do you think that interest is here to stay for the long, short, intermediate term? You know, we're seeing a lot of trends that are kind of interesting. The You know, some of the growth of golf during COVID, um, you know, and, and it was significant at times. We're seeing a lot of... of audiences come out that had maybe dabbled in it before but but really got their feet wet and got into it and are consistently playing more and more you know whether that's uh family golf 
whether that's juniors, which has always typically been strong, especially in the province of Manitoba. Um, a lot of women are getting out to play in in groups and learning to play lessons and sessions like that. I think generally the game is in a good position. The interesting part of it, though, is that you're seeing people that may have played the game years ago and put it away, picked it back up during COVID, and now they've become avid golfers again. So it's kind of interesting to see the evolution of it as we move into another season of golf. So in terms of just the numbers, Kevin, have you seen that there's actually, say, a you know 2%, 5% year-over-year increase over the past couple of years? You know, Loren, it's kind of interesting when you take a look at it, and, and, and we really tried to break it down from the perspective of what's logical and, and what can be explainable. So when you take a look at our numbers in 2019, pre-COVID, our numbers were strong in golf. Golf was on a resurgence. It was rebounding. There was new people playing, and it was increasing year over year. That was positive going into 2020, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 hit. We found ourselves with golf being identified as one of the safe things to do. And as we talked earlier, the numbers certainly were unprecedented, and the growth was across the board. Last year, um, we saw a decrease in Manitoba, but let's not forget that golf courses probably were closed 20 or 25 days. Our weather last summer was not good in in simple terms. You take a look statistically and our numbers were down significantly on the weather ratings, which affects rounds of golf played. Even though we were down because of poor weather, a late start, which was May 14th or 15th around the Winnipeg area, we were still 17 plus percent ahead of 2019 pre-COVID. So strong. Last year was weather-related, um, and we're hoping this year is a good season for weather, and uh, we expect to see a strong you know, contingent of golfers out throughout the entire year. That was going to be our last question before we get out here, Kevin. How do, so how is this year looking? I think it's positive. I think everybody's excited to to welcome back the newer golfers. Um, and, and again, I think you know people have looked at whether they've gone away over the winter, whether they've traveled last year during the summer. I think everybody feels comfortable. Golf in Manitoba is in a good place. They definitely want to get out and play a number of courses across the province. And certainly, uh, fingers crossed that the weather cooperates, they'll be able to do that and uh, get out on the golf course as often as they can. Kevin O'Donovan, Regional Director, Prairie Chapter, National Golf Course Owners Association of Canada. Kevin, thank you for this. Much appreciated. Thanks, gang. Have a wonderful day. And if you hit the links, by the way, let us know. 204-780-6868. Have you been outside to play yet? In the meantime, we switch from golf to hockey, Mr. Mackling. During Saturday's lengthy end-of-season media availability, Brett, Winnipeg Jets head coach Rick Bonus agreed with the players who felt he did the wrong thing by not directing his fiery comments to them first behind closed doors while well, following Thursday's season ending 4-1 loss in Vegas. Well, 680 CJOB's Kelly Moore has some thoughts on that. I thought there was no way Bonus could possibly walk back what he said some 36 hours earlier, even partially. But there was Bones Saturday afternoon in the Matt Ross Media Center admitting he let his emotions get the better of him and should not have included disgusted as part of the verbiage. The unscheduled Q&A session came after almost all of the 14 players who spoke earlier said they took issue with him not telling them to their faces those same words about how they played with their playoff lives on the line. The players had a point. Right from the get-go, 
Bonus has maintained anything he shares outside of the room has already been heard where it mattered most, inside those walls. But where was the admission from those same players that they should shoulder some of the blame for the coach reacting the way he did by turning in an unacceptable performance that spoke volumes about the need for change? How refreshing it would have been to hear from one, two, or even more of those players that as much as they didn't like getting skewered for everyone to see and hear, they probably deserved that based on how they performed until the final result was pretty clear. Instead, we heard it was unfortunate they didn't have their best game when Vegas had theirs. This is a good team, so close to winning. Since the 2018 Western Conference Final, that same core group has been part of seven straight losses in home games played in front of sold-out, whiteout crowds at Canada Life Center. They have now lost five in a row, facing elimination. Instead of accountability, it was shift the blame to the coach for speaking the truth. What was said Saturday was not disgusting. Just incredibly disappointing. But right now we want to talk sports for those looking for massive changes to the individuals who fly the Winnipeg Jets. The first weekend of the team's offseason would suggest you uh, hold your breath waiting for said changes at your own peril. That's pretty Jets GM, Kevil Sheveldayoff, Rick Bonus will return as the team's head coach next year. As per reports from Elliot Friedman, a hockey night in Canada, Kevin Sheveldayoff will be back based uh, on an endorsement from owner Mark Chipman. And Chevy addressed the media yesterday, a 45-minute back and forth, which featured the only GM the team has ever known in Winnipeg, defending the club's success over the past six seasons in particular. Not quite sure what we learned other than there weren't too many statements which would indicate massive changes are upon this hockey club as Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Nino Niederreiter, Brendan Dillon, Dylan DeMello, and Connor Hellebuck all become free agents following this season. Jim Toth, host of the Jim Toth Show and co-host of Jets at Noon, joins us now. Jim, good morning. Good morning, everyone, and I'll just start with my two-and-a-half-year-old just spilt his juice and took accountability for it. Oh, wow. wow. Isn't that... Isn't, it, you're was, it was his fault, right? He didn't uh, do what he was supposed to do with the cup, right? He's what, sorry. What's he going to say? He wants to be better. He'd like to have a better effort when he's holding it. Use two hands, and uh, he'll help clean it up. Well, before we jump into the Jets, Jim, I want to do some compare and contrast here. I want to know... What do you think? Bruins get upset by Florida following their record-setting regular season. Uh, They go down in seven games in the first round. What is the conversation going to sound like in Boston over the next few days? Like, is it going to be, we were really good in the regular season. I think if we just keep this team together, we can win next year. Is that what you think you're going to hear in Beantown? Well, I don't, I don't think so. But look, I'll start by saying this was highly disappointing if you're a Jets fan. And I'm not. And I cover the team. And, and I have my players that I believe in and, and think that are a part of the solution and where they want to go. Um, but as this was unraveling on Saturday, player after player after player. And when it got as deep as like the Adam Lowry's, who I think is a really good leader, um, and the Kyle Connors, and, and even at the start with Blake Wheeler and then Connor Hellebuck saying, um, I, I just, 
I don't know where the disconnect is between, because this is a close-knit community, right? And the players like playing here, and they like the fans' passion, and they love the whiteout and stuff. I don't know where the disconnect on accountability was. Um, you, If you want a voice that you're unhappy with the way your coach said some things publicly, that's your prerogative, but then back it up with some accountability and say, we understand why he was disappointed because we're equally as disappointed. Or... You know, obviously, and and Blake touched on that a bit, saying, you know, obviously we didn't have the game we wanted to have, but you haven't had the game you wanted to have for five years now, and and it's 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 your. This is why fans get mad at me. It's too good and talented of a team to not have more success, and to to do what you did in the first game of a series, and then you know hang around for the next two, but then lay an absolute egg where you don't show up for the biggest game of the season, I, you have to be accountable for that. And if your head coach wants to hold you accountable to that, your fever shouldn't be at him. Your fever should be at your lack of performance again. And so I think the Jets have a real problem on their hands. And I knew that with the contracts, they needed to move some of these guys um, but they need to move some of these guys. They need to get rid of some of this core. And I think hockey-wise, first and foremost, because there's been the Evander Canes who asked for a trade three years in a row. There's been the things that we've known last year in the offseason. You have to make the team better when you move these people. You have to. Whether If there's a problem in the room, you keep dealing with the problem if you can't make your team better. It's professional sports. You have to do that to try and win. That's all it's about is winning. And so when stuff like this happens and, and there's this disconnect of what do you want us to do? Like our coach yelled at us as opposed to I'm really frustrated on why I can't perform in big games or we as a unit should have won way more than we have or something like that. Your coach asked you for pushback and your former coaches were down three, one against the largest margin in NHL history by 43 points and won three straight games to eliminate them. That's pushback. And if you can't see that that's what the coach is asking from you, as opposed to the way he's asking it, that's a major problem. And, and some of these guys have to go. And I know I'm going on a rant here, guys. I know you're going to ask me about Kevin Sheveldayoff. I don't buy for one second. Kevin Sheveldayoff doesn't know that. I know he didn't say nothing yesterday and missed a real opportunity to address and appease the fan base. But in my mind, he will be making some major moves this summer because he's not a dumb hockey guy. Right. And he, what what happened was when a coach wasn't about to speak and saw player after player after player not take accountability over the fashion in which he said something, he came out to address it right away. Shevel Dayoff knows the exact same thing Rick Bonus did when he came out Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock when he wasn't supposed to that he's got to address this problem and deal with it this summer. Okay, so here's here's a shovel day off. On, uh, I listed the seven guys that will be UFAs uh, basically 14 months from now. Jim, here's Chevy on Dubois, Shifley, and Hellebuck in particular and their pending UFA status. You know, I, I, I don't know that we're losing those guys. I don't know that that's the, you know, uh, the, the directions. Uh, those are the part of the processes that, you know, have to take place, uh, you know, over the period of time. I think that, you know, the fans, you know, definitely appreciate that fact that, you know, decisions aren't made just by knee-jerk. They're not made just by, you know, overreaction. I think, you know, that, that's that's what the, you know, fans have, have come to expect. And, um, you know, that's that's what they're going to get. And, and, you know, moving forward, you know, those decisions are going to have purpose. And, and, uh, and, and you know, it's it's a challenge. 
I'm going to remain polite in my response to what Chevy just said there with regard to what the fans have come to expect. But is this Kevin Sheveldayov once again preparing fans for the fact that eh, you might think we need to do a bunch of stuff, but we don't think we need to do a bunch of stuff? Or is this Chevy protecting his assets and holding his cards close to the vest as we as we get closer to what a lot of people would anticipate would be a busy time heading in towards the, the amateur draft in June? Well, A, this is going to sound weird, but I don't think Kevin Chevaldea flies to the public. I think he protects himself from having to face the truth. And what I mean by that, I honestly believe he has not had the conversations with those players on what you would like and what, how much and if you would like to resign here. So now those conversations start. And so what he's doing is just that. I don't know if those players don't want to be here or want to sign long-term or not because he hasn't literally legitimately sat down with their agents and asked. So he's not lying about that. But he's also well aware that he's not letting these guys walk into free agency and get nothing for them. But it all begins and ends with Connor Hellebuck. And lost in all the things, in my opinion, everybody, on Saturday was Connor Hellebuck said he's not interested in a rebuild. So the one thing you can't do is come out and say, look, we've got to make some changes in our core. We've, we've ran it back six years in a row. And don't worry, we're going to try and fix it because we're about winning here and stuff. And all that says to a guy that you need to sign is it sounds like they're making major changes. He's got a list. It starts with Connor Hellebuck and he's going to sit down with his agent and he's going to try and hammer out a deal to see if he can get him to sign long-term and stay here. Then he's going to start the surgery. If Connor Hellebuck has seen a couple of key pieces in surgery that he doesn't like being moved and doesn't like the return, he's going to say, I'm not interested in resigning here. So Kevin's in a tough spot. I'm not defending his fact that he could have spoke better to the, the, the fans and addressed the issues with the team and, and sort of given them a plan. But I also understand the last thing in this market a GM can do is tell the plan publicly and then have these guys go, I'm not interested in that behind closed doors and have to move them. Because in two months from now, if you trade Connor Hellebuck, he's never going to sit down and tell you he didn't want to be here. He's never done that with players. He protects them just like he's protecting the team yesterday. It's unfortunate, but it's also a smart way to do hockey business. Would I like to know more? Of course I would. Should he have said more to appease the fan base and those who need to buy tickets? Of course he should have. But the hockey-wise of business, he did a smart thing, in my opinion, in the fact that I've got to sign some of these guys before I move some of them. And if they're all this tight, like we saw on Saturday, and if they all think their coach hung them out to dry, and none of them took accountability. The last thing I need to do is anger more of them that I need to keep. And that's the Winnipeg market. And that's a tough thing to do. But I think it begins with Connor Hellebuck. But I, I, don't, I cannot believe Kevin Sheveldayoff, no matter what you think of him, doesn't understand that some of these guys need to go. Well, it'll be a dance. Hellebuck on the weekend said, I'm not really interested in a rebuild, I think his quote was. I just want to compete. And he talked about the high he got in the playoffs and that's really what he wants to go after. So it'll be a dance to keep the ones that make him feel like he's in a competitive market. And I believe, Loren, if, if he believes that, like, even, you know, you move a couple pieces and likes what comes back and he has a chance to win, I do believe Connor Hellebuck likes it here. I do believe Connor Hellebuck will sign long-term here. But I also believe it's got to be something that he believes in. And that's the fine line that Kevin Sheveldayoff has to walk on Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the, in the media. And then now the next couple of months, because if, and that's the danger, right? Like that's the, if you do a couple things or if you trade somebody's best friend, or if you, 
you know, unfortunately, the idea of us wanting to say trade those guys that don't want to be here and bring in better players, it just doesn't work that way anymore. And it especially doesn't work in a Winnipeg market. I think he's got to do anything he can to get Connor Hellebuck to sign long term and then perform surgery. Um, but he'll know. And, and so if we like a month from now, see a trade in the core where where two key pieces go out the door and two separate deals. And, and Connor Hellebuck hasn't signed an extension. I, I, I think Connor, Kevin Shoveldayoff will have known, even though he hasn't done anything with Hellebuck or his contract, that what Hellebuck wants to know. Jim, wants to do. Jim Toth will have more on Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras, and then he's got his own show, Weekdays 1 to 3, The Jim Toth Show on CJOB. Jim? And you, you all were worried it would be a long, boring summer. <laughs> oh, never. 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 It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg just mentioned yard work, and we're asking you at 204 780 6868, what is your favorite yard chore? Or perhaps your least favorite? Like some of the, the work might be soothing, relaxing, and some of it might be painful, tedious, whatever. One of the reasons why I like living in an apartment, because I hate it all. Repetitive. Never-ending. Yep. Yep. Well, Ron maybe speaks to you then. He does. Ron says, spring cleaning. (laughs) Since I don't have a yard, I live in an apartment. My favorite is sitting on a friend's deck and watching them work on their yard while I enjoy a bevy. (laughs) Right on their deck, not just watching from afar. Like me sitting on my balcony. Yeah, that's what I was imagining. Seventeen floors up. Oh, look at those suckers down there with their with their acreages. Yeah, <laughs> and, and their trees and their grass. This is way better living. I haven't, I haven't done that this year yet because the last, I think at least in 2020 for sure, definitely 2021. I had a tan before March. I even put on a pair of golf shorts. Sure. Usually the first time I wear golf shorts, it's it's like blinding. The white sticks that are on my legs get come out and see some fresh air for the first time. But yeah, there, there, it was so we had a couple of really nice springs there, uh, at least early on where I could go out and get some sunshine. Haven't done that yet this year. So maybe uh, today, maybe tomorrow, I don't know, hoping to maybe go golfing tomorrow out at Kingswood in uh, LaSalle. But Elaine G is our winner today for the Jagged Little Pill tickets. What does Elaine G have? Weekend was the hours of shame. Picking up dog poop. I was definitely adverse to the cold and not picking up poo over the winter. More uh, more funny is that I feed my dog marrow bones. Saturday morning, I look at the backyard and it looks like I am a lazy serial killer. There are hundreds <laughs> of bones scattered through the yard. I belly laughed. I love puttering in my gardens. Elaine, you are our winner this morning. Like marrow bones that would be eaten and swallowed and then released? Or maybe, you know, the dogs dogs like uh, like the socks, mm-hmm. they like to hide their treasure and create this treasure trove of, of treats and things to gnaw on or things that feel like a reward. So maybe spring just came really quick and the and all of a sudden there is the treasure trove of the dog. Uh, Onto the milk. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of leftover le- marrow bone leavens, I suppose. Yeah, because like the marrow bone, there is a, a like a packaged treat that right. you can buy. They call it a marrow bone. It just looks like a, it's just a cookie that the dogs can eat or you can actually buy them a marrow bone. So I guess they pick out all the marrow and then they leave the bone behind. And now it's the, the yard is just full of 
It's a little marrow bones, like the the burbs. Like my uh, desk right now, full of crumbs of eight. <laughs> Cookie. We're supposed to decorate those cookies for the Smile Cookie Week, but they might not survive. They will. There's just there's, there's, there's more fewer than enough. of them. That's there's all. More enough to go around. Just making it more efficient, so less less uh, work to do. So Elaine G, congratulations! You win the tickets for Jagged Little Pill, the Broadway award-winning musical coming to Winnipeg in October at the Centennial Concert Hall. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Hal Anderson, the host of Connecting Winnipeg, will be checking in with us in our next segment to tell you what's coming up just after Global News at 10. But right now, as the birds sing, the grass changes color and spring finally arrives. May brings not only flowers, but an important month for our mental health. Mental Health Awareness Month is upon us, and joining us in studio is Adam Milne, Peer Support Manager, Peer Connections, Manitoba. Adam, great to have you back in the studio after all these years. In fact, this is your first visit since we moved to 201 Portage. And what, we've been here three and a half years now? So it's been a while. Good to see you, my friend. Um, Have we made it to the point when it comes to mental health awareness where stigma has become less of a concern than maybe it was eight, nine, ten years ago? Yes, absolutely. I think that, I mean, especially through pandemic, everyone started looking at how their mental health was affected by the things they were going through. And I think it's a lot more open for people to reach out to get what they need. And there's all sorts of places to go. Some might argue never enough resources, but when you're having that conversation about your mental health, you might think, who can I turn to to tell this to? Or who who will I go to first? And so talk a bit about peer support. What does that mean? What is a peer support? A peer support worker is a person with lived experience. So that means... They've gone through what it is. They have a diagnosis. They've been through a mental health challenge. They've been through a substance use challenge. And then they went through a training process to work on the skills to kind of take that from a place where what they've been through to a knowledge set where when you talk to a peer support worker, you're talking to someone who's been through it so you can connect on that level. But it's also someone who can help you find what it is that you want so your recovery goes the way you need it to. I would have imagined a few years ago, and maybe I'm just making an assumption here, that not so long ago, even getting peer support workers would have been challenging because you'd have to admit you'd have a problem and then want to publicly talk about it. Hopefully we're at a different space now, but I'm wondering how, what have you seen in terms of people just wanting to step up and be that worker, let alone the person admitting their challenges? That is a challenge in the hiring process. I think when people are applying for jobs, that's the last thing they want to write in their cover letter and their resume. Uh, unfortunately, that's the primary thing we look for as far as people not wanting to put that in their notes. That's what makes that's the beginning of a peer support worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have had a lot more people who are willing to do that. And I think a lot more people who understand that that's how they make a change in the world is by bringing themselves with them to whatever position they're going into. So we've been talking about bringing peer supports to Manitobans for several years with you. Where are these supports available? As always, the community teams at the community mental health organizations have peer support workers. Uh, That's been around for a long time. The change now is, and it's all over Manitoba, clinical settings are adding peer support workers at a very great rate, which brings smiles to my face. Uh, It started in 2020 with the Crisis Response Center and the Dauphin Regional Health Center, having peer support workers there available for anyone who comes in the door. It has grown since then. There are people in the Brandon Hospital. There's a withdrawal management program at clinic, has peer support workers coming in. 
community programs in Dauphin and in Brandon and in Winnipeg. And starting today, we're training workers to work in a withdrawal managed program in Southern Health. So it's going to be in three towns in the Southern Health area. So Adam, walk me through the process. Say I'm, I'm having uh, mental health distress. I'm uh, I'm strong enough to go out and look for help. Under what circumstances am I coming into contact with a with a peer to peer or peer support uh, person? It really can be at any portion of your journey. If you're at the beginning and you're not sure what you're doing, I mean, talking to your doctor is always important because I think the there's a marriage between um, clinical and community supports. They're, they're both helpful. So you can talk to your doctor about it. They could recommend some services. If you're not at the point where you're in crisis or it's an urgent space, you can reach out to Peer Connections Manitoba. We have a community team. You can talk, you can come in and see. There's a drop-in program on Mondays. You can call on the phone and have a conversation with somebody. And then you could see what that looks like for you and see if that fits. Uh, now, if you are in crisis, that's where you would go to one of these other settings. So you can walk into the Crisis Response Center on Bannatyne Avenue, have an access to both a clinical support and the peer support workers, anyone who comes in can access to both. You can get the same thing at the Brandon Emergency Room and in the Dauphin Emergency Room. What's the experience on the side of someone that, that does walk in and, and ask for those support and ask for that help? What's the benefit of, of speaking to somebody who has that training, who has that lived experience? Any person who's had to go in and tell their story to somebody who's evaluating what they need to do, what plan they need to make, uh, that can be somewhat of an alienating experience. It's not always easy to tell your story several times and to people who are listening and trying to help, but they don't come from that place or they can't share if they are. Whereas when you talk to a peer support worker, you're talking to someone who can under, deeply understand where you're coming from because that's their story too. And I think that most people, when they find someone that has a shared interest or a shared experience, has a greater level of connection in that. The other part about a peer support worker is we don't come out of that looking for a plan. A peer support worker's job is to listen and connect and to find help you explore what it is you actually want, where you want to go, what services you need. There's no agenda for us. I've noticed on your website, too, something that stands out. There's the individual who might go in, but then there's the family peer support. So what situation, for example, might that be? Is it I'm struggling and want my family to be supported or the whole family has an, an issue, a dynamic that they want to go through with someone? A little bit of both and also kind of neither. Mm. Um, so an individual peer support worker is having that connection with the person who's going through whatever they're going through. Uh I can speak as a parent and I can speak um, as a child as a, and as a former spouse of someone with a mental health issue as they've come up. As that support person, that's a lot of weight to put on somebody's shoulders. And so in those places, when you talk to a family peer support worker, that you're not getting help for your loved one there. You're getting help for yourself so that you can be at full strength so when the person that you're supporting, the person you care about needs something, you still have resources to give. I think that family members often have, uh, there's that burnout when you're a caregiver. You have to go through all of these things, and then you still have your own life to live. And so we don't often ask for supports as caregivers, and that's what a family peer support worker does. Uh, and you can get those, again, at the Crisis Response Center. You can get those at the Dauphin Health Center. You can get them at our community office. It's a person that you can talk to that, while you can talk about the person you're supporting, they're there to help you. 
The website is peerconnectionsmb.ca. Our guest is Adam Milne, Peer Support Manager for Peer Connections Manitoba. And Adam, you mentioned that uh, part of your job is to just help people, A, to just hear what they have to say and, and give them someone to talk to, but also to, to help kind of figure out what it is they're looking for. But if somebody maybe not only isn't quite sure what they're looking for, but is maybe even scared to make that first step, that first call, to, to try to get go get going down that path. How do you help to sort of convince somebody to pick up the phone and reach out to somebody like your organization? Well, the fact of the matter is, as a peer support worker, it's never my job to convince anyone of anything because we I mean, really believe in self-determination. So that's that person's desire for something different and what that means. But what my job is is to ask what kind of things would they find helpful. And if picking up that phone that first time is a thing you can't do, and for lots of reasons you can't pick up that phone that first time. Maybe it's not the first time you picked it up and it went badly last time and you don't know how to pick it up again. Well, then let's do it together. You know, like I'm, we're there beside the person. We meet them where they are and we just, we're there with them until they don't need it anymore. Until they can reach out for themselves or they can ask those questions or they just don't have anything left to talk about. Adam, that whole idea of, you know, Brett outlined very, very succinctly just this idea of that, first time of, of reaching out, perhaps. How are we doing in Manitoba in terms of resources? We were, you know, very aware the, the Manitoba government made online resources available to all Manitobans during the pandemic, which I thought was outstanding. I know that there are organizations, including our own, that have really stepped up in terms of mental health, health supports and, you know, providing and making sure that not only us as employees, but families have access to support if it's needed. How are we doing as a province overall and, and where do the gaps remain in your estimation? I think as a province, we're doing more than we've ever done before. And so, I mean, you need to highlight how much... Um, the system is trying to make changes so that it, more people can get the supports and different kinds of supports all the time. And I think part of the gaps are people who are the working well, right? Like you're, you're doing all right. You're not in a crisis. There are so many people who are at that point where they need the crisis services that that middle area doesn't really, doesn't get a lot of attention. The working well, those that do deal with maybe a diagnosed or an undiagnosed mental illness, but just sort of soldier on and just kind of keep going? Is that who you're talking about? It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's you wake up in the morning and the day is tarred and it's a difficult place to go, uh, but you make it through there because it's not bad enough for you to feel like you need to reach out for something more. You don't want to go to the hospital. We all know that they're overworked and sometimes underappreciated. And so you don't necessarily know where you want to go next. And so you just, you soldier on through it, you work through it. But it's, that's the group I think that misses out because they don't know that they need to do anything or what to do until they get to the point where they are in crisis. And then there's only a couple of avenues left at that point. Adam Milne, Peer Support Manager, Peer Connections, Manitoba. The website, once again, is peerconnectionsmb.ca, where you can get some information on a couple of great events you've got coming up uh, as well. The Iris Gala that's happening. Uh, when is that happening? That's, the, that's sooner than later, right? Iris Gal is May 11th. Okay, and that's at the Gates on Robin. And then a golf tournament, Southwood Golf and Country Club, happening on June 27th. So more information at peerconnections.mb.ca. Or pardon me, peerconnectionsmb.ca, not the extra dot in there. Adam, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having us. It's, it's a 
pleasure to be in your new studio. It's much swankier in here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the view's a little better, too, yeah? Yeah. 